Well, I invite you to turn this morning to the book of Hebrews as we're continuing our study in Hebrews. We come to chapter 12 this morning after uh, a lengthy consideration of Hebrews chapter 11 in the Hall of Faith. And now he um, begins to apply what he did there uh, directly to us, having us think about our walk of faith. So we're considering just the three verses, and then next week we come to this um, wonderful section on discipline. Uh, So I can't give any of the details, but I should say that I'm on a 14-day criminal trial as a juror, and so I'll be busy for the next three weeks, but I'm going to work hard to uh, still preach a sermon and... um, Yeah, I'll have a lot of sermon illustrations, I'm sure. So, uh, Hebrews chapter 12, uh, beginning at verse 1, and I'll read to verse 3 this morning. This is the word of the Lord. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and the sin which clings so closely. And let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, Looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself, so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. There will end the reading of God's word. Well, I might have shared this with you before, but years ago... Um, it's probably in the old building I used this, and I remember speaking about it. When I was in, we were in high school, uh, out in the little town of Armona, we would drive to a, um, a cemetery, and uh, we would go out to the cemetery, and we would look for a specific gravestone, and this gravestone is what all the students at the high school would talk about. It was very bizarre, but we wanted to go out and see this gravestone, and what the gravestone said was, Remember, friends, as you pass by, as you are now, so once was I. As I am now, so you must be. So prepare for death to follow me. High school kids think these things are really interesting. We would go out and look at this and get, I don't know why, but it was just bizarre. But there was something about that. There was something about that thought, that, that imagery of somebody who had walked the same path years ago, and it made us sort of cringe the, mor- the morbidity of the, the statement somebody wanted to impress upon us on his gravestone, nonetheless, that after he was dead, that we should consider he at one point walked the same path and that we are soon going to join him in death. Not a very encouraging message to leave people, is it? Well, what we've been considering in Hebrews chapter 11 are the heroes of our faith and those that went before us. And, and believe it or not, their message to that gravestone is somewhat similar. Only that death for them was not some unknown horror and that the grave was the end and beyond that nobody could know the horror of what was coming. That's not what they're saying to us. For them, they wanted to tell us something. They have wanted to, these heroes of the faith in chapter 11, they have wanted to tell us something about the world to come. That has really been the heart of this in Hebrews 11, about their faith placed in the better land, the better city, the city that was prepared for them. And um, 
they were, it's meant to be an encouragement to us to, to partake of the same faith that they did, the walk of faith. We've, we've looked at what faith is in this context, looking more at sanctification, the walk of faith. And that is really what is being pressed upon us this morning. It really turns now to a giant encouragement to us that we would live and that we would walk as they walked. Walking in the same path of faith. The same way of faith. For, you'll notice here, something is absolutely and wonderfully held out for us in death. In death. And it's as if the author is now saying to us, Did you hear everything that I said about them? Did you consider how they lived? Did you think about all those saints and all their courses of life that they went through, the different experiences that they had? Did you consider in that the possibilities of faith? The surprising outcomes that happened in life by faith. The things that they endured and what God did through them in those appointments. And no matter what the path was that God had marked out for them, no matter what they did, notice that, that we saw in it some conquered kingdoms by faith. Others were sawn in two. And the author here wants us to think about the fact that they bear witness to something. Very important for us. They, they bear witness to something. And everything we considered from them is the same for us. And so the author now has spent a long time developing all these heroes we have of, of the Old Testament. And they're saying the same message. They walk by faith. But now he's, it's essentially he says, we need to stop talking about them. And now I want to talk about you. We need to think about you for a minute now directly. With this really important question, which is the heart of the author's concern in this book by Christians who are considering giving up in times of persecution, hardship, some apostatizing. Are you walking by faith? Are you walking by faith in the callings that God has placed upon you? Are you walking by faith in the purposes that he has determined in whatever he has appointed for your earthly walk? Are you walking by faith in Christ? And the author now turns to apply everything he has taught us in Hebrews 11 to help us in our walk of faith, providing us with great understanding what those things are that hold us back from walking by faith. What are those things in life that stumble us in walking by faith? What is it that are great threats to you walking by faith like they did? That's his goal here. That we might not pattern our lives after the world, but that we would pattern our lives after the same faith that we studied from them in Hebrews chapter 11. That's the point of this today. So this morning, we're considering that briefly, our calling in this, and then the challenges that we face, and then the great consolation that drives us to press on in our walk of faith. So we'll begin with this great calling that we have here. You'll notice in verse 1, I think he has now reached the sort of reward of applying now everything that he has pressed us with in the lives of these saints in Hebrews chapter 11. And he begins with a big therefore 
Uh, very important, therefore, that is drawing an important application and an important conclusion for us. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us. See, it's, 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 he's turning to us. It's your turn. Let us lay aside every weight and the sin which clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Now, I'm sure this has been a popular passage you've heard preached many times in the course of your life. Uh, you know that he's using a very popular metaphor that was very big in ancient writings and very important to the ancient writings, the popular metaphor of a, uh, a race. And he is, and they would write, the writers would talk about life as a race. You find this in a lot of the ancient writings. And he's thinking of that. He's helping us with that. He wants us to think about life as a running race. What he, he is picturing here is a grand athletic event that they would have understood um, to be in the arena and the place is packed. This is not unfamiliar to us. The arena is packed. And, and yes, it's absolutely true that there, there are, are he has a, a picture, an imagery for us of, of these great uh, exemplars of faith, Abel and Noah and Abraham and the patriarchs and Moses and how they all overcame. They all lived by faith. That was the single thing that was singled out. That was the thing that was most importantly singled out about their lives that connects us with them. They lived by faith in Christ. They trusted him and believed and had strong conviction in what was not yet seen, remember, in whatever circumstance they were called to. And whatever appointment they were given by God, they each had their race. And Paul, you know, it's interesting, Paul described life this way elsewhere when, you know, he said, I have fought the good fight, I have finished the race, I have kept the faith, henceforth there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, and not only to me, but to all who have loved his appearing. Life is a race, Paul said. I've had my race, and I'm ready now to get to the finish line. I'm ready for the reward. This is such a common metaphor and a common use of this that we would understand and appreciate and I think connect with. You know, you're all in a race. You all have life is appointed as a race. It's not meaningless. We believe God's appointed life. We believe God has appointed your race. And here's what we learn in Hebrews 11. God has placed everyone in the race of faith. There are challenges in this. Remember what he just said. Some through faith conquered kingdoms, administered justice, gained what was promised, shut the mouth of lions, quenched the fury of the flames. Others faced jeers and flogging. And chains and imprisonment. They were put to death by stoning. They were sawn in two. They were killed by the sword. Every one of you here is in a race. And whatever you're going to do by faith is appointed by God. Whatever you're going to accomplish. It may be a suffering death. It may be more triumphant. This is God's plan. You're not your own. You were bought with a price. 
You belong in body and soul to somebody else who purchased your life. You don't own yourself. And he has put you in a race. That's what he's saying to us. Here, some of you ran yesterday in the alternatives for life, alternative for life race. Well, that's a, that's a good thing. It'd be interesting to see how the different runners ran. It'd be interesting to see how many who were older thought they could still run like they were in high school and paid the price this morning. I'm saying something that I have firsthand knowledge of, but I'm not going to talk too much about here. It'd be interesting to see how Lyle Faber ran as opposed to one of the other younger Fabers. He's concerned about endurance, isn't he? He's not talking about speed, which you'll be thankful. He's talking about endurance in this. He wants endurance from you. The race is already won. That's what he's going to say here shortly. Christ has already run the race. He's already finished the race for you. He's already crossed over the line for you. He's already resurrected from the dead. But I want you running. I want you on the track. No matter your age, no matter your place, no matter what you think about your place in the kingdom, you're in my appointed race. Now, if we don't understand this basic point, that this life, there is appointed for us a race and certain things that God has specifically assigned for us. There's an assignment in your race. If you don't understand that, you're going to look at all the hardships. You're going to look at the things that happen. As we talked about last time, some people get really mad at God. You're going to look at the trials and you're going to be confused. And he has put that out. He has said, listen, I am so sovereign over your lives and over your race. I've got it marked out. You have to understand this. We're going to consider Jesus in a moment. He says something important, though, right after that. I'm really concerned. Did you notice verse 3? Because some of you are becoming weary and faint-hearted. You're tired of running. You're, you're tired of running. See, that's his concern. He's really concerned about this. Now, if I went around and asked you today, some of you might feel, you know, like your race is going well. Many of you may not feel that way. It's interesting to survey. You're burdened about many things. You're distressed about many things. You're concerned about many things. Maybe hearing about Noah, Abraham, and Moses didn't help so much because you think your life is just not quite as significant. Maybe that's really what it is. You think there's no real purpose to you. And so you haven't even understood the value of your own race. We're always looking ahead too in fear about what is to come, so we're never really focused on the race today. Did you hear the calling? Run the race that is set before you right now, today. Today is sufficient for its own trouble, said Jesus. There's a lot of things you can look down the track. You're running today the race God's assigned. And what he's saying to each one of you faces 
Each one of you faces unique challenges in this. No two races the same, if you will. Two runners in their race. We all run by faith. There are different challenges in this. You have real challenges as in, in your marriages, husbands and wives, in your work, in the church, to think sacrificially, all the hardships that come along with life. Seen enough people step off the track in the ministry. It's all pointed by God, many of these things you're facing. Many of the assignments, all the assignments he's given you. And even the things that confuse us, we have to trust him, don't we? So notice what he's doing here. Therefore, and he even says this in verse 13, if you look down to verse 13, therefore lift up your drooping hands and strengthen your weak knees and make straight paths for your feet. We'll come to there. We'll get there. So the, this is running all the way through this this. This metaphor of, of the race, he wants us to, to think about it. The author's concern is that you have not yet appreciated and understood you're in your own race. And that the problems of life, the appointed hardships, are hindering your running. You're not running by faith. You're running by sight. That's the first encouragement here. He's saying, you know, all of these witnesses are here. They're in the stands. And these saints you know about, what are they saying to you? I don't know how many times I've heard this preached, and it's somewhat annoying when they're preached as cheerleaders. They are not cheerleaders. Go, just go. Listen, I was an athlete, and I never looked to the cheerleaders for inspiration. Sorry, I just didn't do that. They, their job was to stir up the crowd. <laughs> what inspired me was somebody who could give me insight, who was somebody who's a player who knew the game. Notice what they're called. They're witnesses. Witnesses bear witness to something. Well, as they once were, so now am I. So, so, so run the race to the finish. What are they saying? What are they saying to us? This is, this is the best part. What are the witnesses saying? What are they bearing witness to? The truth that all of God's promises are yes and amen about the future life. They are witnesses to you, testifying that everything God's promised you, he's faithful to do. They've received. Of course, they're waiting for the final resurrection. But they're with the Lord. They were participants in and witnesses, Steve Ball says this, to the world to come. What that means is they're saying to you, being dead, they still speak, keep running. All of this is true. All of this is true. This is not a mind game. God's promises are true. Believe them. We sing about this, Lord, haste the day when my face shall be sight and the clouds be rolled back as a scroll. They've run their race and they're saying to you, 
God is faithful. God is faithful. Look at how he gave them power, we talked about, in all these circumstances to overcome. He'll do that for you too. You need that. The author here wants them to appreciate what's holding them back, though. That's my second point here briefly, you'll notice. The challenges. Holding them back from endurance. Holding them back from running. Why are you not enduring? Well, there's two things here that are said. What keeps us from running? Notice the verse says, Let us lay aside every weight and the sin that clings so closely and run with endurance. So there's the problem. There's the, there's the challenge to the race right there. He already said in chapter 10, you're in need of endurance. You have need of endurance. We are not of those who shrink back to perdition, but of those who believe to the saving of the soul. This would have been very familiar to runners, of course, in the ancient world. It's familiar to runners today. I have a running household. We're always talking about running Runners would be very lean and before the race, then they would strip down in many of these races naked and run. I think runner shorts today are way too short. But you get the point. You got to strip down so that nothing on you would be a weight that would hold you back. There's weights on you. There are weights on you. And most likely what he's thinking about is the world here. Just like Moses. The the weight of the world. And all of the burdens that that are coming at us constantly. You're you're carrying around like you're going to solve the world's problems. It's really remarkable. Look at all the time we give to things that are weights. Take them off. It's so freeing. Take them off you. You don't have to carry them. It's not yours. And then he says something really important. And the sin that easily ensnares you. Sin is not just a weight. It causes you to stumble in the race. And I think the encouragement here is, is that he is speaking to Christians. You know, there's no delusion about the presence of sin in your lives and the real struggles that it's causing you. He's, he's so pastoral here. Uh, you know, he understands sin is, is really in your lives. Sin is really present. You're struggling with it. He gets that. And this is, in and of itself, is meant to be an encouragement. He's saying it to believers, there are sins hindering your endurance. Are there sins in your life that are keeping you from the walk of faith, the run of faith? What are they? Well, take the Ten Commandments. It's really a wonderful gauge to set in front of your lives. Are there idolatries that you're giving all of your time and your money for that you're serving? Those are consuming idols in your life. Are you bowing to them? What what about the Lord's name, how are you honoring that? Not only in the way you speak, but the way you live. About the Sabbath day. Is there? It's a really interesting thought. 
I would suggest a crucial sin that ensnares people more than they ever know. Is it on the day that God gave for people to look to Christ to rest from their evil works? Isn't it interesting he uses? They turn their foot from it. And they step off the track doing their own thing. While our culture, we have chalked it up as legalism. Nice out. Is there a disregard for authority? Are you in conflict with your neighbor, not forgiving, hating somebody? Is there sexual sin that's ensnaring you, pornography, adultery? Sin weakens you, ensnares you. Are you stealing? Is your energy given to gossip? What of your desires? Where are they? See, I know you're struggling with these things. Be aware of this. Take off the weights and set aside the sin. What you will find is if you feel you're not running this race very well, it may be. It may be that sin is ensnaring you. The weight of the world and sin. And sin has a weakening influence on you. It weakens your body. It weakens your spiritual life. One pastor asked, each of us should look at our lives and ask what's hindering us from the life of faith. Are these weights and sins that ensnare? Well, where does he leave us today? He wants to to motivate you to the greatest um, consideration of all, everything he's been working to. And he builds to this now. He says after that, in great consolation, here's what I want you to do as the great solution. Look to Jesus. Look to Jesus. The founder and perfecter of our faith. It's just a wonderful statement. Who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of God. Do that because I know many of you are, are, are weary and growing faint-hearted. Consider what he endured. You know, that's just a wonderful verse. It's such a pastoral plea. Look to Christ. It really sort of begs the question, what what is Christ like to you? What is Christ like to you? When I was an athlete in college, I remember I wasn't playing well. And my coach, who was an abrasive, hard man, ex-military, called a timeout. Whole gym got quiet because he got nose to nose. He's spitting on me, yelling as loud as he can. The whole gym is taking this in as an entertainment piece, by the way. What do you think that did to me? You think that made me play harder? I was angry. And I'm the kind that when someone gets in my grill, I shut down. That's Bobby Knight style throw chairs at players to get them motivated. They say that players loved playing for John Wooden. 
John Wooden was a good man, earthly standards. I think he was a believer. He was a gracious, loving coach. And his players loved playing for him. They, they gave everything because they loved their coach. The Lord inspired this to say, run to me. Run to me. What do you think I'm like? Why do you think I came here? What do you think I did for you? A bruised reed and a smoking flax I will not despise or put out. What a gracious and compassionate Savior we have. You've got to keep running knowing that you're running to Him. The imagery here is Christ finished the race for you. The victory is already won. He, he, is, he is beyond the finish line. What the author is saying here is he's the author and the perfecter, the um, completer of our faith. He's faith origin, and the word means accomplisher. So, so he loves his, his brethren so much that he's calling you to look to him in all the troubles as the one who gave you faith who began the work of faith, and the one who brings faith to completion for its intended design and goal. That's what Voss said last time I emphasized. There's there's power given to you from on high to offset the power of persecution. Whatever it is, is that causes weariness and discouragement, he's saying, look to Jesus, look to Christ. He doesn't just stand there waiting for you. He doesn't just stand there rooting you on. He is the one who gave you faith. He's the one that will complete faith. He's the one that gives you power in the present to overcome. That's what he's saying. I love um, what John Owen said. A constant view of the glory of Christ will revive our souls and cause our spiritual lives to flourish and thrive. The more we behold the glory of Christ by faith now, the more spiritual and heavenly-minded will be the state of our souls. The reason why spiritual life in our souls decays and withers is because we fill our minds full of other things. But when the mind is filled with thoughts of Christ and His glory, these things will be expelled That's how spiritual life is revived. What's weighing you down? What sins? Look to Jesus. Consider him who, for the joy, isn't this a remarkable statement? For the joy that was set before him endured the cross for you. Yeah, all that suffering, all that pain, Facing, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He went to it with joy because he had his eye on you to save you and complete the work. And now he's seated at the right hand of of the Father. His race was different, of course. He suffered all the wrath and judgment of God in your place to forgive your sins. And doing it with joy, what he's telling you here is he gives you real encouragement and power in your walk of faith for whatever he's appointed in your race. So get up and run. Are you discouraged and weary in your souls? Consider him who endured such hostility for you, who gives you the power to press on. And see what he's concerned about. It's not about speed. It's about endurance. And today, you know what he does for you? 
in the race. He gives you a giant table to stop by and be refreshed. To receive bread and wine for your weary souls. That you might taste and see that the Lord is good. When Stephen was martyred as he was dying, he records something marvelous. I looked up and the Lord was standing from his throne to receive me. That's what was recorded there. This is what the witnesses are testifying to. His faithfulness to his promises. You are today on the track. You are the runners. And he has so ordered your lives and placed you where you are and appointed what you're going to face that you would look to him by faith and overcome. That you would receive power from on high and overcome. And then he shall receive you into glory. Psalm 73. Look to Christ. His promises do not fail. Everything good he has promised. May you be strengthened today in him to complete the race that is set before you today. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for an encouraging word to us and a strengthening word that we would look at our lives and understand our faith and know that you are the sovereign Lord of our life and that we have such a Savior who went before us, who endured these things, that we might have joy in affliction, that we might have joy. Rejoice again, and I say again, rejoice. We will trust you, O Lord, for you are the author and the perfecter and the completer of our faith. And so today we look to you as we come to the table of the Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.